Welcome to Portfolio Rescue. I'm Ben Carlson, your host. With me as always is Duncan Hill. How's it going, Duncan? Hey, how's it going? Today I want to talk about inflation in my opener here because no matter what the number is, people are going to be angry, right? It's really high right now. It's the highest it's been in 40 plus years. But no matter what happens, someone will say it's understated because if you go X this and X this and X this, then it should be lower. But if you, a lot of people say, no, it's actually overstated because the government doesn't count things the right way. So I want to talk about this, this thing about people saying the, the inflation is always overstated or understated. Uh, John, put up this chart here about the consumer price index. This is the consumer price index for shelter. And it's showing over the last year, it's less than 5%. Now, people are up in arms about this one because they throw their hands in the air and say, this is ridiculous. Housing prices are up 20%. Rents are up 17%. Mortgage rates are at 5% now. How could the inflation rate for shelter be 5%. I'm gonna walk you through this and why this, for some people it's way more than that, for some people it's probably less than that. There's a 65% home ownership rate in this country. That doesn't mean 65% of the people own homes because you could count, uh, I think an apartment complex counts as, as one ownership, whatever. If you're one of the people that owns your home and you bought before rates rose or you refinance when rates were 3% or lower, those mortgage payments are fixed you've basically experienced deflation as housing costs have risen because your, your asset is up in value, right? Your house has gone up 20% or 30 or 40 or 50% and your payment is fixed. It's not moving at all. So inflation rates are inherently personal. So much of it depends on your spending patterns and your circumstances. And so my point is the inflation rate that you see in the headline is always going to be wrong for you personally. And that's why people get so mad about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very personal, like you and Michael have talked about so much before. It's what you buy, right? Yes. Yeah, if if like, you happen you know. to have to buy a car in the last year and buy a house for the first time and you buy a bunch of meat all the time, like you're That's screwed. what I was about to say. You know, being being vegan is like inflation proof, you know? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Coffee <laughs> coffee is the main thing that I, I noticed. Coffee is up like so much, you know, the coffee that I buy. Um, See, that's why I'm going to be able to retire like seven days before you because I don't drink coffee. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Remember, before we get to the questions, if you have one, ask the compound show at gmail.com and let's get into it. Okay. Uh, also, I'll just apologize to everyone. We don't have the clock ticker today. The comments, everyone seemed to love it uh, so much last week. But uh, but yeah, we don't have a, a ticking clock this week. I don't think so anyone about complained that. about it at all. Not one person. <laughs> no, I think everyone <laughs> loved it. It was a resounding success. Okay. So uh, up first. My husband and I are both in our early to mid-30s with 30-plus years until we retire. We are 100% invested in equities, mostly index funds, with about 16% company stock and about uh, 5% in my fund portfolio. What is the best way to start investing in bonds? One option would be to start buying $10,000 in I-bonds over the next few years and continue until we retire. Uh, this, would give us an income, this would give us income spread out over retirement, and in an emergency, we could cash out early. Another option we've considered is to DCA into Vanguard bond funds starting in, uh, in our mid-40s, but with monthly income on these so low, uh, we'd need to have a lot saved to have any meaningful income from it. So I'm leaning towards the I-bond route. What would you do? All right, let's talk about the I-bonds first because they are so, so hot right now. This is from the Wall Street Journal. U.S. Treasury Series I-bonds will offer annual interest payments of 9.6% based on the bond's latest inflation calculation, which is tied to March's consumer price index. Basically, they recalculate the interest rate on these every six months, and it's May and November. And because rates are so much higher on these, this is basically the best deal you could get in fixed income right now. It's backed by the government. They're indexed to inflation. They said, the Wall Street Journal article said over the past six months, $11 billion of these have been bought. 
which compared to the same period in 2020 was 1.2 billion. So people are loving these things right now. Um, they basically pay a fixed rate or they're supposed to, and that's set by the treasury. That rate has been set at zero for a long time. So you're just getting the inflation kicker. So if you want to know how that interest rate is determined, it's basically determined on, on the last six months of, of CPI data. One other positive, I talked to our tax expert, Bill Sweet on this. You don't pay state in, income taxes on this because it's a federal bond, but you also can defer federal income tax on that income until redemption. So again, in, interest is compounded semi-annually. Uh, you can, you do have to hold it for 12 months after you buy it. So you have to cash it out after 12 months. And if you redeem before five years, you're going to give up three months worth of interest, right? So, you know, if you, if you do redeem after 12 months, you're, you're only getting 75% of that interest. Here's the problem. After five years, no penalties, nothing like that. You can only invest $10,000 per household. So I know a lot of really wealthy people say that's not enough. Uh, I think if Biden wanted to score some political points right now in the crazy political inflation environment, he'd probably... Up that cap, I don't know, fifteen, twenty thousand. And I it guess, seems like they could do away with the federal uh, federal tax. You know, like why is there a federal tax on these if they really are supposed to help middle class people save? You know, that's true. And if you took your tax refund and send it right there, you could do an extra five k. I guess so you could do fifteen if you wanted to. The problem with these things, you have to buy them straight from the U.S. government at Treasury Direct. John, pull up that that website. Uh, this website looked like it was created in nineteen ninety four by like a twelve year old. <laughs> it it. <laughs> I really like the idea of buying these bonds, but it's not user-friendly at all. Like, shocker, the U.S. government doesn't have a good technology system. It's very clunky. The customer service isn't great. It's not a great user experience. Uh, one of the other things, like, if you and a spouse wanted to buy one, Duncan, you, you and your wife wanted to buy one, you have to do, you can't do joint accounts. So you'd have to do one, set it up. She'd have to do one as well. You can't buy IRAs. You can't buy them with IRAs as far as, I'm, as, far as I know. Uh, you can buy them, you know, on behalf of your children if you wanted to. And the other thing is, if you wanted to use them for educational expenses, then you're paying no tax at all. So you want to use these as a 529 vehicle. So I actually think, so if you're one of these people, you know, you're in your 40s and you're getting closer to retirement than, than you are from your 20s, you're thinking, how do I more conservatively, like slowly but surely get there, right? Because how do I do that glide path sort of thing? This probably isn't a bad way to do it where you buy this 10K every year and slowly build up that bond position. Now, you can't actually find yield on other bonds right now. So the SHY is one to three year treasuries. It's yielding 2.5% right now. IEI is the the uh, the three to seven year treasury ETF. It's yielding almost three uh, percent. Corporate short term yields that LQD is uh, over three uh, percent. So Josh wrote a good piece the other day talking about how he was uh, buying SHY. Yeah. I think. So if you're a person who holds bonds right now, it doesn't feel very great. But if you're dollar cost averaging into bonds slowly, this is actually pretty good because rates are rising. You want yields to go up. Now, some considerations. Asset location, again, you can't do this in an IRA or a 401k. Uh, and I think the really big key is, you know, obviously it's probably worth going through some hassle of using that crappy government website because you're getting such a great deal, almost 10%. Again, it's, it's six months, you know, annualized. But uh, you can't do it like automation. So if you're worried about ease of investing, you want to just have it on autopilot, you can't really do it that way. But I think for that extra amount of yield, if you're earning five to four to five times amount of a U.S. Treasury bond right now. That's a pretty good deal. Obviously, that won't last forever if inflation comes in. But as far as right now, it's it's not a bad deal. So one, yeah. one thing I will just mention that I was talking with Nick Majuli about recently is some people have this weird authentication problem when you try to sign up. I recently bought iBonds like six months ago. And, uh, and my wife 
it said like we need more information and you have to send these forms in and all this kind of stuff it happened to nick too and apparently he was reading about it it happens to a lot of people and essentially you're in limbo forever like you can't actually get your account set i've up. heard this too so for like, me it worked fine but for yeah, some people it won't. i've heard that too you have to like go to a bank and get a note yeah it's right. not yeah, yeah so yeah. again uh, this is a problem with ease of use and access it's not as easy as opening a Robinhood account and trading five minutes later Right. It'll take a little bit of time to set up. And I guess once you figure it out, it's probably easier, but that first time could be a problem for people. Funny, which of those is easier to do, right? It's yes, I am right. So, yeah, <laughs> right, I'll do the next one. Okay. So up next, we have on a recent podcast, you mentioned that you went from being a saver to being okay with spending. I know you've mentioned it before, but uh, how about an episode on it's okay to spend? I'm trying to get more comfortable with spending myself. I have enough save to have a comfortable retirement, about $500,000 with 20 years to grow, but I like saving, I use tax deferred accounts, and I don't have expensive tastes. I grew up poor and we never had enough money. My wife grew up similarly and both our parents live off of social security and any little thing is an inconvenience. How did you change your mindset to be more okay with spending? So someone on Twitter asked yesterday, what's your personal finance take that's going to get you canceled? And mine was something along the lines of, it's okay to spend your money and enjoy yourself a little bit. People who tell you, who spend shame you all the time and say, don't spend your money, every little piece of your money here could be way more in the future. You, you know, just don't enjoy yourself at all. I think that's that's crazy. Actually, I think it was Ramit at I Will Teach You Be Rich was the first one who really kind of taught me this. And he said something along the lines of like, spend extravagantly on the things you love and cut costs mercilessly on the things you don't. Yeah, he's, he's got a great book called I Will Teach You Be Rich. He's kind of been my personal finance mentor. We actually had him on the show Three years ago, it was pre-pandemic, right? A long time ago. It was before I actually worked here. Yeah. Oh, it was oh, that long. Okay, maybe yeah. like four years ago. So also, I think part of, for me, I was always a big saver. And I always was like penny pinching and saving from like a young age. I think it was just kind of inherently in me. Part of it was, you know, my upbringing, my parents. Part of it, I think, was just my personality. But the older I got, the more I realized that like seeing the value of my portfolio go up didn't bring me nearly the same amount of satisfaction of wait, spending a little extra to go on a trip this year. Like what's going to bring me more regret? Not having a little bit more when I retire, or actually enjoying myself a little bit now. So I think the idea is once you automate your savings, then I think you can tr try to prioritize your spending. You don't have to have expensive tastes to spend money to make you happy. Like I, my way of looking at it is I'm selectively cheap. Like I like a nice high quality car that's like newish, but I don't drive luxury cars. Uh, my wife and I don't really like to go to expensive dinners. I, would, I prefer much rather to go to like a brewery and get a burger or something, you know. Uh, we sell furniture in our house from like Ikea and Target in Talsma, which is a local West Michigan place here. Uh, I love red wine, but I, I, you, it's hard to find me a bottle for more than $20 that I care to, that I care <laughs> to buy, right? My, my wife loves Starbucks. She wants to get a Starbucks every day. Great, get a Starbucks. I don't care. You know, that that's that's a little thing. For me, I used to go to the public library all the time to get books. And I'd wait months for these books that were on hold. And now it's like, wait a minute, what, what am I waiting four months to read this book for if it's $7.99? So every time, like, buy the book if you want. So I also prefer to pay for things in the past that I would have done myself, like for time. So in the past, I did all the lawn care at my house. I shoveled the snow, all this stuff, cleaned the house. And now we pay for someone to clean the house and remove the snow and do the lawn care. And all gladly stuff that I would have done myself in the past that I just would rather pay for time now so I have more time to spend with the kids and that sort of thing. Obviously, everyone is gonna have their own spending categories that they care about, but I think maybe you have to force yourself. So if you're, you're a saver, cut out a piece of your budget, say every month, $500, I'm gonna spend guilt-free on something new. So pick one thing, if you're going on a trip, Pay up for first class. Give it a try. Try to go out to a nice restaurant. Buy some expensive clothes. Maybe buy your friends a round of drinks, right? Stay in a nice luxury hotel. Just try it once and see how it feels. And then you can say, is this the kind of thing that's worth it to spend a little bit more on 
occasionally, or do I not care? It, like you never know if you've never tried it before, especially if you've gone from that upbringing where uh, you're always constantly hoarding money and, and worrying about you know where that money's going to come next, living paycheck to paycheck. So I think maybe you, if you've got your finances you know in line, try to like actually budget for it a little bit and force yourself. This is my guilt-free spending. I'm going to blow it on something new every month and just try it. Yeah, no, that's, that's good advice. And yeah, some people, like you're saying, some people don't care. And then other people, it brings them a lot of joy in, in life, right? So yeah, and so let's do this next question, because I think this is a perfect example. Okay, so this is a, a longer one, but uh, an interesting one. Um, I've been a huge golfer for all my life and have always wanted to join one of the nicer golf clubs in our city. The initiation fee for one of these clubs is between seventy dollars and $100,000. I had no idea it was this expensive. Uh, can, it, but it can be paid overtime interest uh, free, and the monthly dues are five hundred to seven hundred and fifty dollars a month. You want to talk about inflation? I'm guessing with the amount of people golfing these days because of the pandemic, these are pro- prices have probably doubled what they were. Yeah, it's right. it's incredible. Uh, we're still early in our careers and not in a position to afford this kind of expense yet. Are there any rules of thumb, percentage of income, net worth, uh, monthly budget, et cetera, that you would suggest for determining when a big ticket expense is feasible? I want to wait until we're ready. But these fees are not set in stone. Initiation was closer to forty to sixty thousand dollars ten years ago. So I don't want to wait until our incremental readiness is eaten up by the increased fee. For context, my wife and I currently save sixty percent of our income, have no debt except mortgage, and max out all retirement options. And this would be our first major discretionary type of expense. All right. See, here's the thing. I am personally not a golfer. I hate golf. Mainly because I'm I'm horrible at it. See, that's the thing. I'm horrible at it. I just never had the patience to put in the work. Like my dad loves going. He golfs three or four times a a week in the summer. I have a lot of friends who play golf. Good for them. This is the kind of thing. Like if golf is your thing, you want to spend money on it, do it. Guess what? I give this person permission. Buy the damn golf membership. You save 60% of your income, right? Like you could, I guess you could make it a goal and say, I'm going to carve out 10 or 20 or 30% and save up for that initiation fee. But if going to the golf course on a regular basis is going to make you happy, then then do it. And even if like keeping up with those expenses is going to char- cause you to bring that that savings rate down from sixty to fifty or forty, guess what? You still you can still do better. You're still better off savings rate wise than ninety nine percent of the company. So this is your one big ticket splurge item. Like I'm not going to spend shit. I mean, you could have people who are going to judge you and say, "Did you hear how much they paid for that golf course?" Who cares if you're already saving in your max net retirement accounts? Like, do you really think you're going to regret this when you're 60? Here's the thing. People save up for 40 years so they can go golfing one day when they retire. <laughs> if you can afford to do it now and you're still saving for retirement, maxing your retirement accounts, do it, right? Yeah. Like, enjoy it. Like, I, I wouldn't overthink this. I would I would figure out a way to make this happen because if this is really going to make you happy and this is your one thing and everything else you've got figured out and in line, like, that's the whole point of prioritizing. Like, you're probably – those memories that you're going to create golfing all the time – even though I would hate it personally, this person is going to enjoy, they're probably going to enjoy it so much and have so much fun and have drinks and dinners and stuff there at the golf club and maybe a pool or something. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like it. what Josh said about traveling a while back is playing golf at age 70 more fun than playing golf at age 35. Exactly. Know, like, and the yeah. point is, it, as long as you have your finances in order and you're saving already, then like whatever you have left over, like do whatever you want with it. That that then you can go crazy if you want. You don't have to, and cut back everywhere else because you already you already know how to do that. Well, I, I do just wonder what you're paying for. That's a lot of money. Like a golf course, uh, yeah, whatever. That's that's for another another show. But it's yeah, prestige, Duncan, and yeah, I guess yeah. yeah. It sounds and, it sounds really really like a, a lot of money for a golf course, but yeah, membership. It, it probably is. But 
But yeah, I, I'm giving this permission. If you want to do this, do it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Next question. Okay. Yeah, I saw someone in the in the chat mention Top Golf. Yeah, you could just play Top Golf instead. Uh, okay. So the next question is: I bought into a Vanguard Retirement uh, Target Retirement 2025 fund as a lower risk investment. I'm nowhere near retirement age. I'm 30 years old, and I have no idea what will happen to this fund in 2025. Does everything in the fund mature and get returned to shareholders? Does it continue in some other fashion? If so, should I cash out during the year? Uh, is there a general rule for when you should exit a target date fund? Right. I have to admit, I have no idea of this either. I, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, of course. And then I was like, oh, wait, I actually don't know the answer. All right. Good question. And this is a good question because this is a younger investor. Uh, yeah. Good question for one of our younger advisors, Ben Coltard, who's been with Ritholtz probably a year and a half. Hey, Ben. He's the second most important Ben hey, on our staff. <laughs> now, I am a noted target date fan. Uh, I'm a little taken aback that this person is 30 years old investing in a 2025 fund. Maybe they have a reason, uh, but why don't you school us on the point of investing in something like this, when it would make sense for a young person to invest in like this, and then how the whole target date funds thing works, like like what how the dates work, because I think some people probably don't even know. Yep, I am also taken aback by the 2025 target date fund, and I, I don't want to dunk on uh, our, our guest here too much. Um, so I'll just answer it mechanically. Currently, that fund is 55% stock, 45% bond. And it's not like it matures in the year 2025. It just becomes like a 30% stock, 70% bond fund. Like assuming that you're like now 68 years old and you're in retirement. Right. Well, that's the way target date um, funds work, right? That date is supposed to be the day you retire. And of course, when you retire, yeah. it, you're, you're, you're not just going to put all your money in cash because you could have two, three, four decades left to invest. So they still have to invest in something. It's just going to be more conservative. Right, right. So like like the viewer, I'm in my early 30s. Um, and there are times to get conservative, right, for, for certain things. But uh, I'd ask him like anything in personal finance, like what this money's for, right? So if it's in his 401k, I have one reaction. And that is, come on, man. I, I mean, why? Like, you have 30 more years so you can even touch the money. Me too. Like personally, I'm in a hundred percent stocks, my 401k, I'm going to be adding to it every other week for the next three decades. So why on earth would I have 40% bonds, let alone right. four? So we're, yeah, if someone of that age, um, if they're in a 401k, they should be in a 2060 or 2065 fund or something, right? Something much further out. Exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the target date 2060 fund is 90% stocks, 10% bonds. So like if, if that's what it's for, if you're just looking to like set this on autopilot, like target date funds are great. You don't even have to do any guesswork. It does all the rebalancing for you. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that that's not the goal here because there is a great, I would say, reason to hold something like this. And that's if you have like a three to five year down payment goal or something, which which I do have. I don't have a set date on it. I, it could be three. It could be six years. But, you know, I, I can't have that just sitting in cash and just, you know, getting eaten away. But I can't YOLO it into the markets either. So I'm actually using like a 50-50 allocation fund for whether it's two years a place pops up, five years. Maybe I get a little bit more. Um, but, but yeah, I would say it, it, you know, like anything, it comes down to what the money's for. Um, and as for the viewer, you know, if, if you're, if you're listening right now, like shoot Duncan another email, I'm happy to, uh, hop on the phone personally, cause this is a conversation, right? It's hard to, it's hard to know what, you know, what this money's for. I, I do agree with you. Like if you have a shorter part. term time horizon, picking a shorter term target date fund actually makes sense. So you're, you're starting to save right now for a house down payment and you pick a 2025 or 2030 fund. It actually kind of makes sense because you can you can put an end date on your fund when it's going to have that glide path to get more conservative. 
Right. And even like for like a college goal, like I would imagine, you know, this 30 year old doesn't have a 15 year old kid. Uh, that'd be pretty gnarly. Uh, that's that's going to be in college in a couple of years. But like for a parent, you know, your kids coming in five years, like I think it would be yes. a great. Guess what my kids that. 529 plans are in target date funds. <laughs> target Come on. Date. 20, of course. Yep, exactly. Of course. Exactly. Of course. At some point, this show is going to be sponsored by a Target Day Fund, right? Like an individual one. Can we have like one Target Day Fund sponsor us? That'd it be should fun. be. All right, let's do the next one. Okay. Also, uh, Giancarlo in the chat says Benny sort of looks like Matt Stafford. Interesting. I don't know if you've heard that one before. I'll take that. LA Rams take Matt that. Stafford or Detroit winner. Lions Matt Stafford. There's a difference there. <laughs> good, good question. <laughs> uh, okay, up next. How should I think about investing for the long term if I also want to speculate or gamble in the short term? What amount of my portfolio should I dedicate to these different approaches? So we, we talked earlier about me changing from a saving all the time to having some spending in there. This is probably something I've changed my mind to. I've written about this before, how I have 10% of my portfolio is just kind of for fun. I have it in a Robinhood account and some alternatives and stuff. And I think scratching that itch makes sense. Ben, I think this is something that younger people probably have more of a desire for than they, their parents may have. So what do you think is a good starting place for this? Do you think younger people want or need to have this more than older generations? And how do you go about like doing this in a, in a way that you're not just going to blow yourself up and lose a bunch of money you, that you really need? Well, I'm going to give the Ben Carlson blog answer, which is that it, again, it depends on, on everyone. Like, I, I mean, there are 68 year olds that, you know, love to buy some, you know, individual stocks, some, some altcoins and, and whatnot. But I do think a younger, you know, when you're younger, you have 40 years to make up the, the income if you blow something up. Um, so I do, you know, the Robin Hood culture. I, I mean, every every other commercial on, on the Super Bowl was gambling. So, like, I think there is that kind of, you know, you have Stool Presidente throwing out all of his picks. Like, you have, you have all that stuff. So I'm just going to answer this personally again. Um, you know, because investing and gambling are two of my favorite things, uh, but they are, they're similar, but different. So I started out like, you know, most people, I read the intelligent investor, I read Buffett shareholder letters, Peter Lynch. And I, I you know, I'm, I think I'm ready to be the next Bill Ackman. Uh, so much so in fact, that my first stock purchase was Valiant <laughs> Pharmaceuticals. Um, I had seen that it went down from like 300 to 30. Uh, I read over the weekend in Barron's that Bill Ackman was joining the board as if that's some kind of secret inside <laughs> information, like that the whole world wasn't reading it. So I, I buy it. You know, it instantly pops to like 40 bucks. I'm going around the office bragging how I'm up already, which that's another thing. Don't flex <laughs> on your about your investments because you're only you're only giving yourself bad karma if that exists. Um, you know, and then I ended up looking like an idiot when I sold it at 20. Um, so you know, there's that. I, I then my next purchase was Apple, uh, which was the same quarter that Warren Buffett initiated his position. Uh, too bad on like Warren Diamond Hands. I sold it, a, you know, nine months later because I saw like a scary election headline or something. So, you know, I guess meanwhile, like my 401k is just kind of plodding along in index funds. You know, my my sidecar account's going like this. Um, you know, the beauty of the sidecar account, the play account, the gambling account, whatever you want to call it, is that you can scratch that itch, right? Um, you know, you play out your idiot ideas without blowing yourself up. Uh, and I don't care if you're taking Tiger Woods to win the Masters or you're buying Tiger King coin, which is a real thing that I read on the Internet this week. Um, you know, the key is to size it appropriately. I have 80% of my net worth in index funds because I'm happy to bend the knee to the market. The market is like the Night King and Jon Snow if they had a kid. Um, one of the few guarantees in, in investing, there's very limited guarantees, but one of the few ones is that you are guaranteed to own a future winner. You know, you don't have to worry about picking Amazon. It'll just pop right up into the index and you'll own it. 
the other 20% is where I get my thrills. You know, a little NVIDIA here, some Tesla there, dabble in some Solana, uh, you know, throw $100 on the Patriots spread, which actually when we had Tom Brady, that um, dollar cost averaging the Patriots spread, that's like a, that, that was an investment. That yeah, is I think the other game. thing is, that the other man, good man. thing about this is, you can use it as a comparison. So in 2020, you were looking at your your sidecar investments and you're like, I'm a genius. Why am I holding index funds? And then 2021 and on, you're saying, oh God, thank God that I hold these index funds still. And it's a way to keep yourself in check a little bit to realize like, oh, that one year of really awesome returns does not mean that I should put all of my money into this and go crazy. Exactly. I think too many, I think the problem with with that whole 2020, 2021 madness and you know, it is people did put way too much. And you, you hear about the guy who concentrated everything in Tesla and, and turned a hundred grand into 2 million. Like that is the, you know, that's the survivorship bias. You have all the other people that uh, got, you know, blew themselves up. So just, just size it appropriately. Like look at it as like going to the movies. Like I put $50 on the Rangers game the other night. I was on the edge of my seat the whole game. You know, I, I was, I might as well have been at the game screaming and yelling. Uh, the bet did hit, so that's great. But you know, if it didn't, like whatever, I just hey, we only know, talk losers here, not like, winners. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I know, I know. I, I definitely have. But losers. I definitely have losers. I bought Roblox at a hundred, and then again at eighty. But the, there's, there's 50, no stories so, yeah, in the New York I, Times about the guy who yoloed his life savings into Dogecoin when Elon Musk was on SNL, and now he's down eighty percent. Like you don't see those ones on the other right. side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's almost like a camaraderie thing. Like my, you know, the group chats with my friends, they're all, yeah, are you on the Packers this weekend? You know, I, I did you buy Shibu Inu? Like whatever it's, it's fun stuff. Just size yeah. it. I do think it's appropriate. Yeah. Like right? they say I successful think, investing should be like watching paint dry and that's fine, but you, it's okay to like be entertained and have a little bit of that other stuff too, if you're going to enjoy it. And if you just like following this stuff, because it's interesting, because it is, the markets are so interesting to watch. You, you realize the young it people is, would tell is. you uh, have fun being poor, right? Right, Jenny? That's what. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't care. I, 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 and guess what? I am having fun. I being haven't poor heard much about that. Dollars. I think a lot of people are having fun being poor who are saying that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know what? I don't want to rub. Yeah, I don't want to rub it in on uh, people. But yeah, they, they should have sized it appropriately. Yeah. It, can it, can I quickly it. tell my intelligent investor story? Uh, I, I read it back many Please. years ago and I immediately went out and bought a bunch of closing funds. Um, because he talks so much about, <laughs> about closing funds. Did you also and, buy like railroad stocks? Because that's what he's talking about. I, as well. I looked at them, but I, I didn't. I, I stuck with CEFs. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny what that book does to people. Okay, but yeah, but I think a lot of like dyed in the wool bogleheads would say, "You're an idiot. Why would you ever do this? Just put it on autopilot and forget it." And and I think for some people, like that's fine and they can do that. But other people that need to scratch that edge and have that release, if it allows you to leave the rest of your portfolio alone, then I think it's serving a purpose. Exactly. Exactly. Great. All right. I want to thank Benny Markets for joining me today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, Duncan and I will be back next week with Nick Majuli, who's going to be pushing his new book. Right. Just keep buying. Right. Keep those questions and comments coming. Uh, if you want us to put the ticker back on, we will. Just put it in the questions. Yeah. Just tell us here. if you want that clock ticking back uh, next week, and we'll make sure we we uh, oblige. If you have a question, ask the at gmail.com and. For your summer merch needs, Duncan just did a total overhaul of idontshop.com. We have Portfolio Rescue towels now, which I'm going to be using at the beach this summer. Right. We have a new t-shirt, a white hoodie now. It's looking good. Duncan did a good job yeah, on that. Yeah, we, we did it for summer. You know, it's a summer shop now. All right, idontshop.com. We will see you next time. Thanks. This podcast is for informational purposes only. 
is brought to you by Ritholtz Wealth Management. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities mentioned on this podcast. If you're new to investing, check out liftoffinvest.com to get started with us today.